This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. Today is Thursday, the 11th of May. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Thanks to everybody for coming back and joining us for one more pod. We're going to do the same thing always, do a little news, then the smile thing, uh, and then all y'all can get back to whatever it is that you are doing. So we will do the news first. Uh, why don't you go first? You were right. You were right. You were right. You were right. You know, people like to <laughs> hear going, that every please, so often. What are you talking about? Yes. I am talking about all of your predictions about Trump on CNN. Oh, uh, yeah. Because Caitlin Collins did her level best and absolutely mm-hmm. pushed him and fact checked him, and it did not matter. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Uh, didn't he matter. still did what he did. And what's disturbingly amazing about this is I'm I'm reading from the story in the Hill, the hour long event broadcast in prime time and moderated by anchor Caitlin Collins netted 3.1 million viewers. That figure represents more than three times the number of viewers CNN has earned during the 8 p.m. hour in recent weeks, but is less than the size of the audience that watched Trump town halls on Fox and other networks. So he is still a ratings magnet. And even if CNN did not necessarily do the most journalistically wise thing there, from a business perspective, they know what draws viewers and it worked. And, yeah, uh, I've, I've, I've been in a completely cruddy, lousy mood all day. And I realized this morning that it was because I watched whatever the heck that was last night on CNN. I think, I think it was journalistic malpractice. I think it was deeply irresponsible. I think it was damaging. I think it was completely predictable. Thank you very much. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I don't see how Chris Licht can justify it. Period. Uh, I subscribe to this newsletter from Pointer, which is a journalism. Um, how would you describe Pointer? It's sort of a Tra- well, journalism they, they do ethics. training and ethics and yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in one of their newsletters, the writer actually pushed back against some of the blowback for having Trump on when it was first announced and saying that this was the right thing to do journalistically. Mm-hmm. He's the GOP front runner. There's a space for this. And as long as CNN does its job, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's all fine. And today in the newsletter, he was like, no, mm-hmm. we all should have known better. We all should mm-hmm. have known better, myself included. And mm-hmm. like, I, I I was listening to all these arguments, and it's like, I don't think this is going to go well. I get the arguments of why they have him on. I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm not going to be out there bashing him. But, you know, you were right. We were right. Yeah, yeah, so there there were two things CNN did wrong, right? One was putting him on the air live. Mm-hmm. That's like mm-hmm. it's that's just so deeply irresponsible. You want to interview him? Fine. Get an hour on his calendar. Sit down with him. Have Caitlin Collins sit there and absolutely do her level best, and then you edit it to make sure that it is the same 
you know, kind of journalism that you want to be doing as opposed to giving them unrestricted access. It's just, it's amazeballs that they did that. And then the other thing was, of course, the hall and, and, how, and how that crowd from New Hampshire reacted, which was, you know, as, as E. Jean Carroll was being defamed again, arguably, I read today she might sue again, um, the, the crowd laughing. And you're like, really? So I don't, I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but geez, oh, peas, oh. I mean, I hope this is the last time we have to learn this lesson this cycle. Like, (sighs) all right. Thank you for killing my optimism. I'm sorry. I usually usually let you run with your optimism. I'm not usually as much of a downer, but (laughs) come on. And the next 18 months are going to be like this, right? The next 18 months. And then maybe the next four years after that. But, okay, so let's, let's think about this, though. What if Trump ends up being the GOP nominee? Then yeah. what? Then what do yeah, we do? Yeah, that's a gr- that that that's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know the answer yet, but there's a case to be made that you don't put those freaking debates on live television. Oh, I don't think he's going to show up for debates. I don't well, think that's he's probably no. Do I don't them. even. I don't even. I don't even mean primary debates. I mean. Mm. I mean, assuming Biden wins the nomination, which he will, unless Joe Manchin. No, I don't think and, he's going to do the presidential debates. You don't mm-hmm. think so? No, right. I don't. Right. Uh, I yeah, I absolutely do not. You can put that one down. I don't think he's going to do the okay. presidential right. debates. Okay. I, I, um, okay. So yeah, but I, I think it's going to be a really tough thing in journalism if he ends up being the GOP nominee, which right now it looks like he very well might be. How we cover him this time around? Mm-hmm. Um, we did a better job in you know 2020 than we did in Mm -hmm. 2016 but what do we do now that he's Uh, you know spawned an insurrection (laughs) right i i I would argue that chris licked in an hour and 15 minutes last night undid most of the gains that journalism has made reputationally and in practice Mm. Mm. seriously yeah i think it was i think it was that bad i think it was that bad (laughs) Okay. Uh, right. One other quick one, one from Washington, yeah. uh, from your home state of California, uh, that yeah, Diane Feinstein is back here in Washington after a extended absence due to her health, during which there were very loud, very public calls for her to resign due to her age and frailty. And mm-hmm. some of the arguments being that she was literally – holding up, her absence was holding up some really uh, important business of the Senate, namely some judicial nominees, some legislation they wanted to push through. So she came back and first day back, the committee that she's on, uh, on the Judiciary Committee, approved six Biden judicial nominees. Mm -hmm. Three of them went forward on a party line vote. I mean, it matters that she's here to the Democratic agenda, and especially when you think about um, all of the very fraught issues we have in our country mm-hmm. right now that are landing in the courts, these judicial nominees matter. Trump pushed through, I think, more judicial nominees than anybody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. during his time in mm-hmm. office. And Biden's been trying to catch up, but things like this hold it up. And there's a very 
a delicate, sometimes not so delicate conversation happening in Washington, and I'm sure where you are in California about how fit she is for duty, mm-hmm. um, with some yeah. people arguing that it's sexist and ageist the way that folks are talking about her, but it's 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 a tough time. Yeah, and and it's and it's a substantive discussion. It's not just ooh, she's too old, right? It's mm-hmm. it's actual you know agenda setting stuff that's that's you know at at risk here. I suppose is what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So mine, mine's a quickie. It's, it's, it's also super, uh, well, it's not really cause it's actually, uh, relevant because of all the banking problems we have had. I would like to mm-hmm. share with you, uh, dear listeners of this podcast, that, uh, the thing that Jay Powell said the other day about, um, first Republic's collapse, having put a line under the worst of the stress of the banking system, that is perhaps not entirely true. We learned today hmm. that Pacific West Bank Corp shares down another 23% after they disclosed that they had lost another 9.5% of their total deposits last week. PacWest was stopped today because of volatile trading several times in New York. Banking crisis ain't done, gang. And and the longer this lingers, the worse it gets because the more jittery we all get. Um, I will say today, actually, sorry, this is just, I didn't even mean to bring this up, but the FDIC put out some new rules today about replenishing mm-hmm. its stock of, of uh, its insurance fund. Yeah, so it's uh-huh. banks with assets over $50 billion that are going to have to pay uh, almost all of the, the extra fees to restock this insurance fund that the FDIC uses to guarantee depositors' money. Banks with less than $5 billion in total assets uh, are not going to have to pay anything into that fund. So that's good because I know a lot of community bankers were really upset. But the idea that the banking situation is done is, is not true. It's, there's still more coming. But with PacWest, it, you know, it makes me wonder because I've – done a couple stories on this at this point, mm-hmm. how much of this is because the bank is actually in trouble and how much oh, yeah. of it is because yeah. people are freaking out? And, right. you know, I talked to the American Bankers Association. I was talking to some community bank groups in, in various states, and they're all like, we are fine. Uh-huh. We are fine. We are fine. We are fine. But with everybody sort of rumor mongering and gossiping and sometimes short sellers potentially, you know, making stuff up, it's causing other people to freak out, which is then causing real problems for these banks. So, like, was PacWest actually in trouble or exactly did the rumors about it cause it to be in trouble because then people went and took all their money out? That's, that's exactly right. That, of course, is also why and how bank runs, you know, start and continue is people get nervous. And it's not about mm-hmm. the underlying solvency or liquidity of the banks. It's about I want my money now. And, you know, cue up uh, uh, James Stewart in George It's Bailey. a Wonderful Life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, anyway, that was a fairly grim top of the news. Shall we? No. That's, that's what. <laughs> Those weren't actually words. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> okay, let's smile. Yours is All super right. fun. There is an absolutely charming story in the New York Times. It's one of those, you know, graphics heavy where you got to scroll through it thing, and that can get a little annoying if you're on a small screen or something. But it's a really, really interesting story about mapping hurricanes and superstorms at sea. 
And when I say at sea, I mean at sea level in the heart of the storm, which is really hard to do. We, of course, know about all those hurricane hunting airplanes that fly into the storm and get all kinds of data at 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, whatever. This is about a guy whose passion project was to design an automated craft that could sail into the heart of these storms at sea level and get data that fundamentally we have not ever been able to get. Number one, it's super cool, and it's a really charming little article, and the graphics are neat. But number two is that as these storms have become bigger because the planet is getting hotter, this data is going to be more important. And that's the mm-hmm. – I don't know if you can hear the siren. That's the police coming. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's cool. Away. It's a cool uh-huh. article. It, it's, it's not short, but um, it's, uh, it's super interesting. Super interesting. We, uh, when I was hosting Marketplace Tech, we actually talked to one of the NOAA scientists who oh, works yeah. on this uh, and just the level of details. And I'm trying to see if it's the same person. No, I think it's a different person. But um, the level of detail that these things get, because you can get so much more information. It's not just, you know, the video, because the videos are amazing that these things pull because yeah. they're getting thrown around. It's data and video and imagery that we could never get from crewed ships because, you know, people would die. Uh, And so it's improving safety. It's improving the data that we're getting. It's allowing people to track things more quickly, therefore to warn people with better accuracy to get out of the way and things. It's so Mm -hmm. cool. But yeah, this is a beautifully illustrated uh, piece. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what fun. Um, mine's not exactly fun, but it still made me smile. Uh, there, It's a story out of the AP that now uh, the Food and Drug Administration has finally finalized oh, yeah, their guidelines yeah. Yeah, yeah, to end the restrictions on gay and bisexual men donating blood in the U.S. So for a long time, there was a rule that gay and bisexual men or men who had ever had sex with men could not donate blood. And it was through about fears of HIV when it was considered or falsely considered to be just a gay person's disease. And so then they backed it up and they said in 2015, the lifetime ban was dropped by the FDA. And instead, it was a one-year abstinence requirement, which was also not at all scientifically Mm -hmm. valid. In 2020, the agency shortened that abstinence period to three months because they were desperate for blood donations during COVID, which is its own kind of shady. But now there's no more <laughs> abstinence uh, abstinence requirement. Um, people who still test HIV positive can't donate blood. And there's some rules around people on HIV sort of uh, prevention medicines like PrEP. But it's a step in the right direction to end another form of discrimination. And it's not everything, but it's one thing. And that made me smile. So, yeah. Yeah. That's no, like good. It's good, good, good. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's it for us today. Economics on tap tomorrow uh, with the YouTube live stream. We're back around on that one. We'll do the news, have some drinks. Andrew will be here for half full, half empty. But before we go, you know what's coming next, right? It is the first day of our <laughs> May fundraiser. We have shortened it by about a week this year. Uh, so fewer interruptions this month for which uh, both Kimberly and I and you will be grateful. Uh, <laughs> but our goal is not a small one. We're looking to raise $350,000 to stay on track for this fiscal year. As you know, times are tough. Um, but here's the deal. Times are tough, uh, not only for us, but for you as well. And we understand that. Um, but we built a little community here, 
of people who yeah. who um, who value the perspectives that that our producers and Kimberly and I can bring, the conversations that we can have on Fridays and through our mailbag, um, and that's why we need some help. Uh, and and here's a special little treat which uh, I will offer, and then Kimberly will pick it up because I don't want to do the fellowship spell myself. <laughs> if a gift of a thousand dollars or more is in your budget, and we realize that's steep, starting today, you can select a custom audio message from either Kimberly or me as your thank mm-hmm. you gift. Will will you say it and we'll read it within certain boundaries, of course. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 make it too, don't make don't it go something that's gonna right. get us fired. That's right. That's uh right. you know, it reminds me of the old like Carl Castle things where, you know, record voicemails, yep, of but since nobody uses voicemail anymore, it can just be an audio message for whatevs. Um but we do know $1,000 is a lot, but if you're able, we'd really appreciate it. But no matter the size, if you can help us kick off this May fundraiser strong uh, by making a gift today, we'd be incredibly grateful. Of course, there's always the swag as well. You can go to marketplace.org slash give smart. And we're, of course, going to have a link in the show notes. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg-Seeker. Today's episode was engineered by Drew Jostad. Our intern is Antonia Barreras. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. It always says of digital, but we say of digital and on demand. Um, Do we know which one it actually is? I think technically her title is just uh, uh, executive director, period. Oh. But that doesn't seem to okay. really make any sense because let's say what she's the executive director of, shall we? <laughs>